One of the reasons why we asked David to read scripture this morning was that there are some parallels between Moses' life and David's story. Both David and Moses had traumatic upbringings. And though for very different reasons, both Moses and David were abandoned at a young age. Both were raised in a foster system. Both had to adapt into an established family as an outsider. For David, it was multiple times. But most notably is that God revealed their true identity uh, to Moses and David when they had encountered him. Our world, is often, uh, our world often ties identity, who we are, uh, to what we do in our life. There is something that we do or have done that tends to define us. For instance, we might say, I'm a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Or we might say, I'm a mom to Sally and Bill and Mary. I was the all-state quarterback in high school. I was on LinkedIn this week, and I was looking at a couple titles, and it's amazing how in LinkedIn, the first thing that defines you is what you do. I saw one that was pretty hilarious. They said uh, that they were a petroleum transfer engineer. Okay, you pump gas, all right? Jeez, come on. (laughs) What happens when what defines us goes away. We are no longer the CEO. The kids move away. There have been 30 other all-state quarterbacks since your time. Or what happens when our fears and our failures become our identity? We define ourselves by our scars. I am an addict. I am a victim. I am a thief. Last week, we talked about our purpose in life, asking the question, you know, what is my purpose? And we looked at Samson's life to do that in the book of Judges. Well, this week, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're talking about identity. And we're asking the question, who am I? And to do that, we're going to look at the life of Moses. Now, most of us are fairly familiar with something about the story of Moses, If you grew up uh, watching the Ten Commandments on TV, Charleston Heston, right? Let my people go. Uh, Moses and the, the Ten Commandments. Moses spreads his arm out to part the the sea. Well, today we're gonna look a little bit deeper and we're gonna look at Moses and his search for identity. Moses uh, did not fit anywhere as he was growing up. He was an orphan. He was a foster kid. He was adopted. Here's a little backstory to his early years. In chapter 1 of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh, who was the king, who's the king of Egypt, he was nervous that the Israelites were, gonna, were growing too strong in number. The Israelites had been living in Egypt since the time when Joseph was in charge of Egypt. It's an account that we read about in the book of Gen- later in the book of Genesis. And, and uh, uh, Joseph had let the Israelites live in Egypt to avoid being eradicated by a famine. So in an attempt to avoid the Israelites from powering up over the Egyptians, Pharaoh sentenced the Israelites to slavery. They would now work for the Egyptians. 
But the Israelites continued to grow in number. So Pharaoh issued, issued a decree, kill all the baby boys, throw them into the Nile River. That's what we read about in chapter 1. But one child was spared from Pharaoh's plan of genocide. When Moses was born, his mother hid him. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, she put Moses in a basket and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now, before Moses became prey to a snake or a crocodile or another dangerous animal that lived on the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter finds a ba the basket and takes Moses, um, takes Moses in. She finds a wet nurse for Moses, and he was sent away again. The good news is that the wet nurse just happened to be Moses' mother. The good in that is that you could see God's hand in Moses' life despite the tragic events that are happening. When Moses was older, his mom gave him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who ended up adopting Moses. Now notice Moses' mom didn't flee Egypt with him, but with the best of intentions, she gave him up. The text tells us that Moses grew up an Egyptian. Moses grew, with a, grew up with a royal family that was very high profile. According to Josephus, who was a first century uh, Jewish historian, Moses was being groomed to become the next Pharaoh. So no doubt for Moses, the expectations and the demands of his life were extremely high. So here we have this Hebrew boy growing up in a culture that's not his own and in a family that's not his own. Now, we don't know specifically if Moses knew about his heritage, but we've got to think that at some point, at some point in his life, he had to start thinking, one of these kids is not like the other. <laughs> one day, Moses was out where the Israelite slaves were working, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses became enraged, and he attacks the Egyptian and kills him. What caused Moses to snap the way he did? What was beneath the surface of his life? See, if Moses was content as an Egyptian, he would have viewed that scene as the Egyptian master beating the Hebrew as just another day in the life of Egypt. Moses would have known that the Egyptians lorded over the Israelites. This scene would have just been a normal part of his day. But something for Moses was not right. He sees this injustice and he reacts. In this moment, he identified with the people of Israel rather than the prestige and the opportunity of the Egyptians. So in effect, the killing of the Egyptian is this eruption from within, from what lied beneath his life, of the confusion of Moses' identity. Moses was thinking, I am not who I'm supposed to be. Something was wrong. The next day, Moses sees two Hebrews fighting, and he tries to be a peacemaker. And the response from the Israelites was, who do you think you are judging us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? The Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he goes ballistic, and he tries to have Moses killed. So up to this point, 
Moses' identity had been defined by everybody else. Moses, you are an orphan. Moses, you are an Egyptian. Moses, you are a murderer. Moses, you are a dead man. Mentally and emotionally and physically broken, Moses takes off and he flees to Midian. He runs away to a place where no one knows him. Nobody knows his story or has any expectations of him. Look at what we hear about, how, look how Moses defines himself in verse 2 of chapter 22. He says, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Moses describes himself as a foreigner, a stranger, an outsider, a refugee. The truth is, Moses had been a foreigner his entire life. Sure, he had a name and people provided for him, but Moses did not know who he was. Now, perhaps you might be thinking right at this moment, what is all this talk about identity? Is this some kind of psychobabble? What does our identity have to do with God and the Bible and church and faith? I came here to learn the Bible. Well, those are all great questions, and I'm glad that you asked them. I'm going to take some time and explain them this morning to you. Identity is very important to our understanding and growth as a Christian. David Benner, who's a Christian psychologist and author of the book, The Gift of Being Yourself, defines identity as this. Who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. Who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. The I reflects the characteristics of ourself. Some initial examples are, I am an introvert. I am an extrovert. I like sports. I like music. I'm more of a person who likes structure. I'm good with numbers. I don't like spontaneity. I can organize people. These are all things that define the I and who we are and what we are about. But the reality is, is that identity is not what we do. It's who we are. And that's what's important here. So often we conflate the two. Who we are is what we do. Now it's not a bad thing to do things because of who we are. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It becomes a problem when what we do gives our value and it gives us our significance. For instance, what happens when we've identified ourselves as a mom, a mother, and we've poured every waking moment into raising our kids and then feel a sense of insignificance and lack of value when they grow up and move on? What happens when we've identified ourselves by our career? We've been in a job or we've been in a career for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What happens when retirement sets in? Who are we then? What happens when we've identified ourselves by a talent or a skill or an ability and then we can no longer perform that talent, skill, or in our, our ability? Who are we? Now, if you have a good sense of identity this morning, that's great. That's awesome. However, I often meet with people who struggle with this. Just this week, I had a conversation with someone who said, 
I've been a workaholic my whole life, and I'm, I'm now in retirement, and I'm trying to figure out who I am. Tim Keller has a saying that I've altered a little bit. Tim says, when work is your identity, success goes to your head, and failure will go to your heart. Now, I alter that a little bit to be whatever it is that's our identity. When blank, you fill in that blank, is your identity. Success will go to your head, and failure will go to your heart. Why? Because we find value and significance and meaning in the success, yet the complete bewilderment when we fail or we lose it. The result is like Moses in that moment. Our identity becomes defined by someone or, or something rather than having a true sense of identity of ourself. We find ourselves wandering and questioning. We're confused at the very thing that, uh, that has identified us because it's now gone. It's no longer there. This is when what we do is being tied to who we are becomes problematic. The truth is, is that we don't lose ourselves in our search for identity. We ultimately find our identity. Benner, David Benner, in, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, he explains that finding ourself, our identity, is where all of our existence, peace, and happiness depends. He says that if we find our true self, who we really are, that when we do that, we find God. And if we find God, we find our most authentic self. Let me say that again. If we find our true self, who we really are, we find God. And if we find God, we find our most authentic self. We have to learn to draw on an identity that won't spoil or fade, but rather, rather rely on something that's eternal. And God is the one that reveals our identity. Again, quoting David Benner, here's what he says. An identity grounded in God would mean that we think of who we are, that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Let me say that again. If we, when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. If being deeply loved by God is not the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about who are we and our identity then it's very possible that we're searching for something. We're searching for an identity. But the truth is, is that our identity is found in God. God is the creator. God is the one who defines us. God is the one that reveals our, identi our identity and then authenticates who we are. And see, it's in God that he pulls back all of the labels, all the false identities, all, and, and it allows us for, for who we truly are to be, uh, become our identity. If we hold on to the scars of our past and we define ourselves by that, when we find God, God is the one that erases that scar. 
the Apostle Paul wrote, um, wrote in, uh, in a, his letter to the Ephesians uh, this. And I want to read this because this helps us identify a little bit more how, God, how we find our identity in God. Let me read this to you. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times." That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. What does all that mean? If we were able to synthesize and break that down to some key bullet points, which I wanted to read first so that you, had, you saw the whole thing. But if we were to, to, to zoom in on a couple bullet points, what does this reveal about our identity? First, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's who we are. We are blessed. We have been chosen. We didn't choose God. God chooses us. We have been adopted as one of a child of God. We have been redeemed by what we have done and left undone. We are unconditionally loved and accepted. We are pure and blameless and forgiven. We have received the hope of spending eternity with God. In other words, our identity is tied to being a child of God. Through Christ, these things can never be taken away from us. God is saying to us through this passage and in our understanding of our identity, you are mine. One of the things we do each time we celebrate communion, we hand out a cup and that cup has some liquid in it. And we say this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. It's what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed and arrested. And it was the meal, the memory that, remind, that, that the disciples would remember about Jesus. The word he used was covenant. Covenant is a promise. Covenant is something that established, God established through Jesus 
that we would be adopted, we would be forgiven, we would be redeemed, we would be free. No more would we hold on a title of us in a badge of shame or dishonor. We would become a child of God. Does that make sense? Do you see, do you see that? Okay, I just want to make sure. I want to make sure I'm not crazy here. Did someone just say, well? <laughs> Man, <laughs> there's no love in this room. <laughs> when we left Moses a few minutes ago, he was an alien in a foreign land. But God got his attention. See, one day, many years later, while Moses was working, he sees this huge bush aflame. But it was not burning. But it got his attention. Moses went over to the bush, and here's what happened. This is in Exodus chapter 3. When the Lord saw that, uh, that, I'm sorry, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What just happened here? Did, did, you, did you hear what God said to Moses? See, I always read this passage thinking that God was just being this, like, I am the God of your father. Like, kind of establishing God's, like, greatness, right? I don't think Moses was, I don't think God was doing that. God was identifying who Moses was. I am the God of your father. In other words, God revealed Moses' identity. God is saying, Moses, you are a Hebrew. You have an identity that is tied to me. You are mine. That's what's happening in this moment here, in this transaction. Moses, for the first time, is seeing who he really is, and God is revealing it to him. God reveals his identity first, then he gives Moses his mission to be the deliverer of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. What's that tell us? It's not our identity that comes out of our purpose, but our purpose that comes out of our identity. I am the God of your father, you are a Hebrew. You are mine. In a few short words, everything that Moses had known about himself, a wanderer, an orphan, confused, was instantly changed as Moses stepped into God's presence. This, this holy ground, this, this holy moment where God revealed Moses' identity. The ground wasn't holy before God, the ground was holy because God's presence was there. And that was the encounter that Moses got to experience. And God reveals his identity. That moment happened for, uh, for Moses. That moment happened for David when he was at Berea where God became real to him. And friends, that moment can happen for you. No, it doesn't happen through a burning bush. But something much better God's presence comes through Jesus Christ. 
What do we celebrate at Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. We might think the burning bush, we might want a burning bush experience in our life where, you know, God starts speaking to us. Friends, we already got it in the miracle of Jesus. Where Jesus came down from heaven, he transcended to speak to us in our language, that we, in a way that we would know, in a way that we would see, in a way that we would understand. Without God, spiritually, we're like Moses in the early years. We're orphans, we're wanderers, we're confused, we're defined by others, we're defined by what we've done, we're defined by what we have done, we're defined by what we haven't done. But Jesus is the one that puts that to rest. He reveals himself to us and says, you are mine, you are forgiven, you are a child of God. Who are you? What identifies you? Is it a career? Is it achievement? Is it accomplishment? Is it physical strength? Is it our beauty like me? <laughs> Stop laughing! <laughs> Is it our bank account? What happens when our bank account runs out? What happens if we no longer look as hot as Todd does? What happens... <laughs> What happens when what we've defined ourselves is no longer there? Here's the promise in the covenant, in Jesus. God's love for us never fails. Here's the big idea for this morning. Our true identity, who we really are, it comes from God, the one who's created us. Everything else is false. Everything else needs to come underneath that idea that God gives us our identity and we're defined by him. Why is our identity so important? We will never know God or our purpose if we don't know who we are because God is the one that reveals it. Identif identity defines who we are. In Christ, we are loved. In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are a child of God. In Christ... We are forgiven and free. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the story of Moses. Thank you for the way you revealed yourself to him. And thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us. God, if we're here this morning and we have been wondering and wandering and feeling like an orphan, if we've asked the question, who am I? God, help us to see that you reveal our identity. In you, we are secure. In you, that we have hope. And in you, that we have a future, one that will never spoil or fade. We give you thanks for that. And that's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we gather. That's why we trust and we walk with you in faith. And all God's people said together, amen. We're going to move into a, a time of communion now together. I want you to know that here at North River, we practice a believer's communion. You don't necessarily need to belong here to take communion, but we do ask that you have some sort of faith in who Jesus is, and we invite you to join us in that.
I want to take a moment and think about your identity. What Christ has done for each one of us in this sacred act of giving up his life and his body and his, his blood for us. He's given each of us a new and real identity in him as child. And as we stand here, even now, in communion, we stand on holy ground, in sacred space, as we think about the sacrifice that Christ made for us. to identify with God than in taking communion together with one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we find our identity in you. We thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. And we do this in remembrance of you. When Jesus said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he wasn't messing around. He was going to the cross. His life was going to be over. But it was out of love for you and for me that he was willing to sacrifice. But it was a promise. He wasn't just saying something crazy. He was saying something real, concrete, and eternal. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was too costly for you and I to become a perishable item.
As we take this cup, we are identified as a child of God. We identify with his grace. We identify with his redemption. We identify with his resurrection. Let's take this together. thank you that our identity is found in you. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made for each one of us. I pray that we would go into the world knowing that is truth in our hearts. Father, let us shine boldly for you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and receive uh, this morning's offering. We're going to sing a final song. Uh, if God has spoken to you in a way that you've got a question or you need to talk to somebody. There are people in our prayer room uh, in, uh, right down the hallway. Uh, any one of our deacons will be more than willing to talk to you. I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service. But let's sing in response to what God has done, who has identified us in his son Jesus.